Good morning, Renew. My name is Lisa. I'm going to read the scripture passage for us today that should be on the screen. Um, It comes from John chapter 21, verses 4 through 19. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, but they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Please join me in prayer. Dear Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Um, I just pray uh, you just uh, open our hearts and our minds as we hear from Pastor Dave this morning and um, just uh, just open us to hear what you have to say through, through your word, through your gospels, Lord. Thank you for today and this community, God, and in your name, amen. Thank you, Lisa. God is good. All the time. time. And Christ is risen. risen Amen, amen. Um, So glad to be here again. Um, And um, well, we bring greetings from the Pacific Northwest Conference annual meeting, uh, which is uh, the Northwest Conference of our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. Uh, So the annual meeting, the first day is... 
uh, meeting of the ministerium, the past, pastor's kind of organization. Um, and it was the first in-person meeting we had in two years. So you can imagine people were hugging each other, glad to see each other. Pastors from Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Washington. And uh, it was good to see um, some friends. And uh, Pastor Magdio, Pastor Uriel, Pastor Allison came <laughs> uh, to check things out. And, um, and then the following day uh, was a minister, uh, annual meeting um, for where lay representatives from all the churches represented and caught up on what's going on in our denomination, in our conference. Uh, so it's really good. Exciting things are happening. Um, people are energized and hopeful for what God is doing, a revival um, in the church as we pivot, um, as we face challenges, um, but also um, innovate innovate and um, bring in fresh wineskins um, in our ministries and kind of shed off the things that were, you know, peripheral, uh, unneeded and unnecessary or not working. And so that was really good to uh, rub shoulders and uh, exchange ideas and catch up and tell testimonies of what God has been doing and also to lament together uh, over the losses and uh, the pain over the last couple of years. Um, one of, well, first we're uh, continuing in our Embody series, and the beginning of John, uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 1, it talks about how in the beginning of time, in the beginning of creation, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and ultimately this Word became flesh and dwelt among humans, um, and the word was a light, and the word um, was the life of people. And I think uh, this, the first chapter of John is very poetic, lots of great imagery. Um, but that, that image of the word being this, you know, being God and being this huge kind of cosmic image of being at the beginning of all time and a part of all creation, and yet that huge thing coming down down, down to some, to dwelling among us, right? And Eugene Peterson's in the message says he, uh, he moved into the neighborhood, right? Something like that, I'm paraphrasing. Moved into the neighborhood. And so this God of the universe became a person, a human who could touch, we could talk to, we can converse with, and touched humanity. And so... Um, that is um, the source or kind of the foundation of the idea behind this series, Embody, that God was embodied in Jesus Christ as a human being. Um, and we too embody the gospel. We, we too embody Christ's love um, to one another and to people around us. Amen. Um, one of the self-epiphanies that I had during my sabbatical, as I'm coming off a three-month sabbatical, is how hungry that I have been for human connection and community. And I'm sure many of you can relate to me. Um, how hungry I've been for places of belonging, um, places of common activity, places with shared interest or purpose, places where I could laugh and have fun, places where I could uh, be myself. I realized that uh, when I'm myself, 
my family could tell you. I'm pretty goofy and make weird noises and sounds. Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, that's not what a pastor would do. Or that's not a, what a mature, responsible adult would do. But, you know, it's kind of freeing to get to be yourself and, you know, make the sounds that you want to make. And so some of the people who are here early getting ready for service know, like, that part of me, like the strange noises and strange sounds um, that I give out. Um, so... But over the sabbatical, I was just like, love myself, right? That's me. Why, why do I need to change or fake, fake who I am, you know, to be my authentic self? And that, that God loves me in myself. And so that was one huge lesson that I learned. But that longing to, as, you know, the old time show, Cheers, to be where everybody knows your name, right? And, and to connect, um, and since I was uh, uh, I was advised not to hang out with any of you during sabbatical, sorry about that. Uh, I found community uh, in other places with my hobbies. So whether it's at my Orange Theory gym, um, doing you know just the togetherness of pushing each other along, you know, on the treadmill or in the weight on the weights, you know, to be our best selves, to push and be and work harder, and you know beat those, burn those calories um, was really enjoyable for me, um, that common purpose, that, you know, the working together side by side. Um, and then I, I played a lot more Ultimate Frisbee on my team uh, named Pua, which is short for pickup artists, um, and playing with them and having a lot of fun and people calling me old man and making fun of me and stuff like that. That's really good. You know, this is my place on the team, right? Like, I'm the elder, I'm the elder statesman, and, um, and that's okay. You know, God is okay with me. Um, but even more so, I realized that I had a longing for deeper connection, right? And that kind of connection is uh, one that can only be found in the body of Christ, or church. Um, as I mentioned in our annual meeting, it was the first connection among colleagues in ministry for like two years. Um, and it's been good to come back here um, to renew our church family um, and be reminded that I have a longing for embrace. I have a longing to laugh together with my friends and my families and um, to look at each other, to look at people face to face, to see how much all of our babies and kids out there have grown up into toddlers and youth, young adults even. Um, it's been amazing it's, uh, to see, um, and to see and meet people for the first time in person, right? Like you see people online and you know they've been online, but to actually meet people face-to-face -face has been really, really good. And, and I'm excited and hopeful about getting to live into our vision uh, and our dream to be renewed by God together for the renewal of our neighborhoods. And also to dream and plan together, what will it look like now? Now! as things somewhat are coming back to in person, and as we've co we're coming out 
you know, cross our fingers, kneel and pray, um, and to more openness and to more togetherness, uh, what will it look like to love our neighbors in person again? How will we be light and salt to Linwood and beyond in the coming months? Um, in a stay-in-place and divided family, uh, society, people are longing for real human connection beyond the exchange of political ideas and opinions over social media. Um, we long to be known, uh, to know and be known, and be acknowledged and heard. And so, um, I think that's a powerful thing, and I, I definitely feel and hear, as I hear other ministers talk about you know, what's going on in their churches, or the challenges of being church now in these days, or what are the felt needs. Um, th what's loud and clear is that people are looking for connection, for community. Um, people are looking to be known, to know and be known for touch. Um, to come together. Children are excited about being in school. Children are excited about playing sports again, playing, you know, having play dates with their friends again. And um, it's a healing, it's, it's a healing time. At the same time, it, it has been a time of death and a time of lament in the church, right? We've had to give up so many of the things that we've been used to even to the point of like gathering together, right? What is the church if we're not gathering together in person? That's been the question, right? What does communion look like? Communion is like, that's the church, right? What does it look like when we're not in person together? What do small groups look like? What does children ministry look like? What does it look like um, to do ministry in our community? What do our ministries even look like when Day after day, it's like cut, 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 cut. And, and things have been limited almost to um, streaming online. And, and pastors are like, I've become a televangelist overnight, right? Speaking, you know, many pastors have lamented the loss of, you know, hearing God is good, amen, and hearing an amen return. It's just cricket silence, right? And the flashing light of the camera. Um, so there's been a, a lot of loss and lament. And quite frankly, um, you know, we did a workshop. There was a workshop at the annual meeting, Continuing Education, called the Post-Church Church. Church. Uh, Reverend Peter Sung gave a really good um, workshop. And one of the things he mentioned is churches have been in decline for the last, well, for a long time, 20 years, but... In particular, over the last couple of years, churches have been struggling, of course, in attendance. How do you even count attendance? But yeah, people have taken the opportunity to actually leave their churches and leave the church and have not come back since churches have reopened or, or meeting in person. Um, another way you can count that um, is, you know, financially, churches uh, giving has declined significantly and Across the board, churches have cut staff, had to cut staff, programs, whatnot, whatnot. And so there's a lot of loss. There's a lot of death in that. And one of the things that stuck with me that Peter Sung said is, 
you know, a lot of pastors, a lot of us leaders in the church are waiting for when people, we're asking the question, when will the people return? When can we get back to uh, the way things were before the pandemic? When can we bring this program back? When will that family come back? And he said, stop waiting, right? If they haven't come back yet, they're never coming back. And I was like, Oh, right? Gut check. Gut check. Um, and I'll say that large, larger churches across the board, and this is not by any means uh, universal, um, but a lot of large churches in our conference, in our uh, particular denomination, have reported decline um, in attendance and giving. Um, and some, some of our churches in our conference have actually folded um, and, and staff have been laid off or cut or there's been a lot of uh, movement. And a lot of that is because of, you know, we live in a divisive family, so, you know, some of the political things around masks and like um, the coronavirus have been a lightning rod in the church and very divisive, and so some people are like, oh, you know, we're not gonna go there because they think this or they believe this, or we're not gonna go there because uh, they protest this or they protest that. And so even in the church, we have not been, or maybe especially in the church, we haven't been immune from, you know, what we see on the news, what we see on TV, um, in terms of divisiveness. Like, we are so divided in our opinions and our thoughts and our convictions, so much so that we can't even have like regular conversations and still respect one another, right? And you can't turn to our government for good, good examples of that, right? It's like, if you believe something different, then we're gonna tear you down and shoot you down. And so there's this polarization. Anyways, anyways, the point is, you know, Churches have either needed to pivot and adapt and change um, to the changing times and situations and contexts, or they've just are done, you know, or you know have dwindled. And for me, and for many of us in that workshop, I was feeling encouraged because I see this as an opportunity, right? It's a time for renewal and revival in the church and I think some people are tired of the mega church or some people are tired of the superstar pastor right it's all about his sermon and he's up here preaching or it's all about this big church and its programs the youth ministry the children's ministry and all these things we're doing globally and you know and, you know, all these programs that we have for uh, people in the church. And they've become fed up with that. I would venture to guess in talking with many people who have come to Renew in the last year and a half. Oh, actually in the last two, three years. I bet many of you came from larger churches. Right? When you came to Renew, you came for larger from larger churches with this, like either 
they, I feel like my church is on the wrong side of the issues, right? On the wrong side of history, and they're not addressing what I think should be addressed and what's happening in the world. Or two, I feel like um, I just am not known. I can't connect. There's build, I can't build relationships in such a large church. I want to come back, you know, and find family and find community to a place where I'm known, where my children can be known and grow in, in the family, in a family church context. Um, and I think the third, the third thing is, you know, I've served in my church, in my big church, for many, many years, and I'm just burnt out. Like, can I just go to a place where, you know, it's chill and the pastor makes weird noises and it's okay, right? Like, I want to go to a weird pastor church, and it's okay. Well, you found your place here. Weird pastor church, amen. Um, <laughs> hey, don't amen too loud. It's not true. Um, that's all to say, I think it's real. like, it's the Kairos moment. It's for a time such as this that I think renew as we, as people are hungry for connection, are looking for community to be known for family, again, even starving, have been starving for that, that we're uniquely situated to be like, come, right? Let's, let's connect. Let's find connection here uh, and to be a light and salt and earth in terms of real, authentic um, relating um, and intimacy. And we can be a model of Christ's love because Christ was the embodiment of love in our world. And he told his disciples all through John, I am doing this so that you will do it. I'm washing your feet so that you'll wash one another's feet, John 13, right? I am doing this to set an example for you so that you too, a new command I have for you, love one another, right? He's, read through John, love one another, three, three different times, many, several different times. A new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another, right? That means don't just think about it, don't just theorize about it or philosophize about following Jesus, but do as I have done, tangibly. Love people, touch people, wash their feet, serve them. And what that message is so poignant, right? So powerful for us today. People need the love of Jesus Christ. And the way that they're going to experience the love of Jesus Christ is through the body of Christ. The embodiment of Christ is Christ's church. Amen? Let us be the church. Let us not just come to church. Church is not a place. Church is not a time. Church is an identity. We are the church. We're being the church. We are the church without walls. And if anything has been reiterated in, this, in the past two years, as we've been stand, you know, uh, streaming church and stuff like that, is church is not a building. Right? Church is not a program. If you thought that, it's been taken away from you, right? And the question now is, what does it mean for us to be the church? 
the body of Christ in the world. Our scripture, <laughs> I just love the scripture. First of all, we learned that this was the third time um, that Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. And so it, it wasn't like Jesus resurrected and then he was gone, right? He actually did things. And remember uh, the end of chapter 20, Jesus, you know, after that, Jesus did many uh, miracles and signs and works so that people would believe that he was the son of God, right? Um, so he obviously continued to do ministry. He obviously continued to touch people and heal them. He, he continued to, you know, um, speak and teach and um, do Jesus things. Um, and then here in chapter 21, we see this interaction with the disciples, the third appearance, if you will, to the disciples. And what's happening at the beginning of chapter 21 is Peter and the other disciples, we don't know, are they still in hiding, kind of like laying low in a house, or have they been encouraged a little, so they're kind of going out, or are they trying to live their regular lives, like just their everyday lives, or were they just, you know, kind of, you know, living sedentary lives <laughs> like some of us have, and we're, we're, Peter's finally like, I want to go fishing. And the disciples like, yes, let us, we'll go with you. Um, it could be like that, but I don't think fishing was a recreational thing for like, let's go commercial fishing, right? Or like uh, chartered fishing. It was more, if you remember when Jesus called the disciples, he called them because they were fishing. That was their livelihood. That was their occupation. That was how they lived. So perhaps they were even hungry or short on food and saying Peter was finally like, man, I'm sick of eating whatever, veggies, right? I'm sick of eating beans or uh, unleavened bread. I'm going fishing. I'm going to go out there and go fishing. And people are like, yes, I want to go with you. So it's early in the morning and Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And we see, like, how could they not have recognized was Jesus in a different form? Many people think, you know, he, he had kind of a changing form um, in his resurrection life. Uh, but I just think it was, like, when we look at uh, resurrection, the Easter passages, it was early in the no morning when it was still dark, we read. So early in the morning, it was dark, not a lot of light. So they couldn't see Jesus and recognize him right away as he was standing at a distance um, on the shore. And he asked, haven't you had any fish? And they answered, no. And, you know, I can relate to the fishing and telling people, no, I haven't caught anything kind of feeling. Um, sometimes, you know, when I was in high school, my dad used to take me to Edmonds Pier um, where that big dock is. It's really nice now, but we'd go fishing. And, uh, and there's a big difference between when people ask you if you've caught a lot of stuff and there's a lot of stuff in your bucket and you've caught a lot and you see those people coming from the, I don't know what it's, what's their Anthony's or some fancy restaurant all dressed up, hand in hand, the lovebirds walking on the pier. And you're like, oh my, if you haven't caught anything, you're like, oh, 
they're gonna come, they're gonna ask me, did you catch anything? I was like, oh no, and you're like trying to avoid eye contact. Uh, sure enough, here he goes, the guy's like, hey, I do some fishing, have you caught anything? Uh, no, right? And I imagine Jesus coming, they've been fishing all night. And he's like, friends, have you, have you caught, have you caught any fish? And they're like, no, right? So irritating. Uh, but then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. I recognize him, right? He was the only one who had 20-20 vision. He recognized him first. And as soon as, come to think of it, this was the disciple, like, you know, uh, in the resurrection kind of uh, scriptures where, who, where Mary tells Peter and the other disciple, the Jesus has risen, right? They race, and he's the one that beats Peter. Right? He's faster in a foot race than Peter um, and gets to the tomb before him. Um, he sees first everything before all the other disciples. It is the Lord. Um, and then Peter follows as, it heard, as soon as he heard him, it is the Lord. Um, and he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. This is kind of a strange thing. It's like, if you're going to jump into the water, why do you put on clothes? Wouldn't you, like, strip off and take out your cell phone and then jump in? But Peter puts on his outer garments. Um, he had taken it off probably because he was with the boys and, like, just chillax or, you know, fishing. So he was in his fishing casualness and jumped, off, jumped into the water. Um, but he puts his robe on, probably in honor and reverence for the Lord, as he's saying, it is the Lord, and jumps into the water. Peter, always the one to jump in, right? Always the one to want to walk on the water, always the one to say, wash all of me, always the one to say, I'm never going to betray you, I'm never, I'm always going to follow you, just the exuberant one, the, the, the gung-ho one, uh, but sometimes the one who is always has his foot in his mouth, right? He jumps into the water. Meanwhile, the other disciples, you know, are the responsible ones, have to deal with actually rowing the boat a hundred yards uh, with, all, you know, uh, towing, you know, this, um, towing a net full of fish, right? Because Jesus had just said, um, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will catch some fish. And here we have an allusion, right, to another part in Scripture, the calling, the initial calling of the disciples, uh, which you can read in Luke, uh, chapter 5, right? Jesus says to P Peter, ask the same things, have you caught anything? No, we haven't caught anything. We've been fishing all night. Put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. They catch so much that the nets are ripping as they're pulling it, pulling it up in Luke in John, he, may, he adds the detail, there's so much fish, but the nets weren't ripping at all. But anyways, they catch so much fish, and Jesus in Luke chapter 5 says, I will make you, you're catching fish now, real fish, but I will make you fishers of people. So come and follow me. It says they drop everything and follow him. And here is kind of maybe John's version of it, but set later, but it's a repetition of the same image, same story, 
caster nets on the other side. There's a huge number of fish. Peter, when they recognize Jesus, jumps into the water. Uh, the rest of the guys are, you know, I feel this for them because I do, I do row, you know, at Orange Theory, and it's hard. So, like, I know how hard a boat, imagine a boat with a net full of fish, um, so much so that they couldn't bring it into the boat. So they're towing, it's drag, right? This, this net full of fish, they're dragging behind them for 100 yards. It's very tiring. Um, but when they landed, sweating and out of breath and having worked hard to get ashore, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread, right? If they were hungry from rowing and fishing all night, what a sight, right, to see fish, you know, a, fi a warm fire and some bread. And that, that's one of the things I like in this passage. There's so many, like, physical, tactile images that we could miss. Right? What was it like for Peter to see Jesus, recognize Jesus, and then to jump in the water? Was the water freezing cold? Right? Was he like, I shouldn't have put this robe on. It's really heavy and it's dragging me down. What was it like for the disciples to... You know, cast their nets on the other side after a night long uh, of fishing to be fatigued from casting and pulling up, casting and pulling up, and to cast it over one more time and to feel like the weight, right, of pulling on the rope and that, like the blisters on their hands, just like the rope sliding, the friction against their hands, just ah, pulling it up. All of those physical, tactile uh, things. And then to see the fire, you know, when you come home from work and you're hungry and even hangry, and like the, the delight of seeing a prepared meal. <laughs> um, Janice actually feels really excited when I've cooked her something after work, right? Um, that Jesus cares for his disciples and is cooking for them and preparing a meal. Once again, being the servant, being um, the one who feeds tangibly the ones he loves. Are you with me, church? They're eating together. They're eating together. It's a small group. Um, there's another allusion here, right? Fish and bread to Mark, to John, the feeding of the 5,000, where there's only, you know, um, where there's 5,000, there's people, uh, the disciples, again, have been rowing across the sea. They're trying to go to a solitary place. They reach the shore, and there's thousands of people who've come to see Jesus, and they're like, we were here to take a sabbatical, right? Like, we were trying to get some rest, and there's all these people. And then disciples are, are Jesus is like, looks at him and says, man, they were like sheep without a shepherd. He looked at them and felt compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
He says to his disciples, what do we have? Oh, there's this kid with five loaves and two fish, you know, and Jesus commands them, you feed them. You feed them. I know you're tired, right? I know you don't think we have enough and you want to send them away. You feed them, right? And then out of that is the miracle of abundance, right? The food multiplies and multiplies. We have the same thing happening here. Um, The full net of fish, 153 fish, it says, and um, a meal, but it's just a meal with his disciples. But again, they experience the miracle of abundance, Christ's abundance given for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd and he cares about them. You know, just like my mom, I mean, the way that she expresses her love for me is, I know she loves me because she always asks, have you eaten, right? Or what have you eaten? You know, and that's her way, you know, maybe she doesn't say, David, I love you. You know, I'm so proud of you. You're a star. You're a star. And you shine. Keep shining. Right? She doesn't say things like that, but she says, have you eaten? And then she gives me food. Um, so, where was I with that? But that love that Jesus is actually, you know, meeting their physical need and, fish, and giving them fish and bread. And obviously, we have that connection with the feeding of the 5,000. Um, Jesus saying, bring some of the fish you have just caught Simon Peter climbs back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. Which is curious because a little earlier it said there was so much fish in the nets they couldn't pull it onto the boat. They had to drag it behind. But then when Jesus says, Simon, go bring some fish, he goes out to the boat and drags it to the shore. Does he do it himself? It's like he's, got, he's filled with adrenaline or something. Like, yeah, I can do this. He brings it ashore, but even with so many, the net was not torn, right? I imagine maybe the difference here is, uh, with the net not being torn is that there's some sort of supernatural, you know, power, empowerment happening here, you know, with the net and the fish and Peter dragging this, you know, undraggable net onto shore. Um, and Jesus says, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Right? And we got to know that when Jesus is, that's how Jesus rolled, right? Oftentimes when Jesus is meeting with his disciples and rolling with his disciples, what happens? They're going to (laughs) eat, right? And they're going to sit around and they're going to have a meal. And then when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him, the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus closes with, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourselves and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. So we know that Peter was executed um, for being a follower of Jesus. And if you go back to John chapter, actually John chapter 13, um, starting with verse 36, I can't see. You know you're getting older when you <laughs> start using the pinch, pinch thing to like make the text bigger. Um, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? This is in John 13, you know, before his crucifixion, the last kind of the Passover meal with the disciples. He's hanging with his disciples. Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And this is where Jesus answers, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times, right? So that we see in this interaction, this very intimate relational kind of conversation that Jesus is having with Peter, a redemption and a restoration, right? Before when Jesus said, I want to follow you, Jesus is like, you can't follow me right now. Jesus, Peter's like, oh yeah, I can do it. I'll jump in the water for you. I will die for you. And Jesus is like, no, you're going to deny me three times. What happens? Peter does deny him three times before the rooster crows. And in other gospels, he weeps after he hears that rooster crow. Rooster crow. Uh, um, but here, three times, Jesus asks, do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. In kind of a reverse restoration of what the denials that happened earlier. And then said, ends with, follow me. Now you can follow me. And Peter will follow him. And I think this is a really important thing um, and something that again was reiterated by Jesus to his disciples in his last days. Um, Again, in John chapter 13, verse 14, um, in the foot washing scene, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed 
if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. Um, So the thing that I believe we can glean from this episode is that Jesus loves his disciples. He loves his disciples in the way that he forgives Peter and redeems Peter. He loves his disciples in the way that he appears to them and has, shares a meal with them. He loves his disciples in the, in the way that he provides for them with abundance of very practical things such as fish in the nets, right? That is reflected in their vocation or occupation. Um, and he loves them because he feeds them. Um, and he continues to teach them and pass things on to them. And he doesn't want to, uh, he wants them to know who he is. He wants them to see him before he ascends, before he goes to heaven, um, so that um, the things in their hearts are confirmed and, and their love for him, right, is satiated. Um, and then finally, the, once again, the example. He turns and says, basically, you feed them, just like in the feeding of the 5,000. You feed them. Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Because I see my sheep out there, humanity, they are like sheep without a shepherd. And now that I leave, follow me. Now is the time to follow me by by feeding as I fed, by washing feet, one another's feet as I have washed. And you know, um, the question, the natural question after this is, what does it look like to feed other people? What does it look like to wash one another's feet? What does it look like to love as Jesus loved? And I, I think those are, as a church, those are the questions we're, we should ask and are asking as we figure out what does it mean now as we're gathered together? What is, it, what is the world around us? What are people hungering for? Who, are, who is God calling into our lives to connect with, to be with? And as people are longing for connection, longing for community, longing for a family, longing for places where everybody knows their name, Um, What does it look like to be a witness and a light, right? In a place that is unreconciled, in a society that's unreconciled, where there's division, where there's enmity and hostility, what does it look like to be a witness in the ways that we are reconciled with one another, right? Where where difference do come together and it works and we, we are a fuller expression of Christ's love in the world that that's the that's the message that's the kind of embodiment that people witness as they come across us amen or even as us individually going into our workplaces our schools our homes our families our neighborhoods walking walking the streets of your neighborhood um, going to those play dates going to those sporting events wherever your gym what does it look like Um, to feed, you know, to feed Jesus' sheep. Um, Because God cares about the whole world. 
not just Christian people who are going to church, but God cares about the whole world and he has compassion um, for our neighbors. He has compassion for you and me and wants to meet our tangible, physical, and emotional and spiritual needs and wants. And so um, my challenge uh, for us this week is to reflect and think about who is God putting in your life? Who specifically has been in your life, in your sphere of influence around you that God is calling you to, lead, to love? I mean, you're supposed to love whether you think he's call, calling you or not. Like, but ask the question, how can I love this person? How can I? What does it look like to be the embodiment of Christ's love in their life? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the ways that uh, you have sustained us and grown us. Um, in these last two years that we have been financially healthy and that we've grown uh, numerically and people, uh, it's not a matter of strategy or um, anything that special we've done or any good that the pastor is or anything like that, but um, it's because of your abundance that you've filled our nets uh, with fish, and we want to continue to be good stewards and continue to be faithful to continue to turn our hearts um, uh, and to let go of the things um, that we're holding on to about what church is, what it means to follow Jesus, uh, what, what programs we like, what, what makes us comfortable. Um, stop waiting for those things to come back and have our hands open and our hearts um, willing to receive what you have for us today and in the days to come. Help us to be a spirit-led church um, that is keen um, to your will and what you'll have us do. And, and may we be all hands on deck and move with as you're moving. In your name, amen.